0: It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. (music) Pastor's wife, Bible teacher, encourager, redeemed perfectionist. All these describe Christian speaker and author, Nancy K. Grace. Although Quilter isn't listed along with her description for her speaking engagements, Nancy did take a quilting class and learned so much from it. She has come through quite the life-changing experience, and I knew you'd want to hear her story. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life.
1: Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here and I look forward to sharing with you.
0: I've been looking forward to this since you signed up. Let's start with where were you born and raised?
1: Well, I was born and raised in Chicago. I was born on the far south side of Chicago and just in a quiet neighborhood. And so I grew up in the big city, although Where we lived was on the very far south side, so far south of the city that if we crossed the next street, we were in the first little suburb. So we were just on the edge of the city. It was a quiet neighborhood. We played games, the the kick-the-can type of games and tag and things like that, running through the yards, and it was fun to do.
0: Growing up in Chicago, do you have a special childhood memory there? I was glad that my parents took my brother
1: and I to visit the museums. And I loved going to the Museum of Science and Industry and the Natural History Museum and the Aquarium and all of those wonderful museums. I just really appreciated that and having the cultural aspect of going to hearing the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. So, all of those. Are pieces in my memory that have a lot of good memories of going to it. And I say that I was glad that I was raised there because of that. But it was a different time. It was a long ago time. And when I graduated from high school, I went to college at Eastern Illinois University. And I adjusted there to smaller town living. At first, it kind of drove me nuts because it's like, this place is so small. There's nothing to do. But then I like the slower pace. I just adjusted, and I haven't been back to the big city. I've always lived in rural areas or small towns. So I grew up a city girl, but a part of me is still a country girl, and so I'm kind of a mix of both.
0: And <laughs> oh, neat. How close are you to Chicago now? I know you're still in Illinois?
1: Yes, we are by Decatur, Illinois, so that's about oh, three hours away. We really don't go there. My parents have passed away, and so I don't have any reason to you know go back there. So anyway, that's kind of where I'm at, and we honestly never thought we would be back in Illinois. Like I said, I went to college at Eastern Illinois University and I majored in family services, home economics, and I met my husband at Eastern and we met at a college Bible study there. And then when we got married, we lived there because I had one more year of college to finish my degree. So we finished there and then he had a secular job, a sales job. Well, I finished my degree, and then the Lord opened a door for him to go into full-time ministry in a small rural church just about 15 miles north of Charleston. So we moved there and started our ministry life there. The first 15 years of our ministry, we lived in Illinois in different places, small places. We moved around a few times. And as we grew in ministry and we had our family and then the Lord relocated us to the state of Kansas, where we, in 1990, we moved there and we moved to the middle of the wheat fields. So we went from the cornfields to the wheat fields. (laughs) It was another rural community, but it was a great place for us to raise our kids. That's where they went to elementary school and high school and college out in the state of Kansas. And we lived in Kansas for 15 years. And then the Lord relocated us again to another ministry in Springdale, Arkansas. And so we moved to Northwest Arkansas and we were there for 14 years until 2 years ago. And we served a church there then As my husband was anticipating retirement from the regular church ministry, we were praying about what should he do next? What was the next chapter of our lives and chapter of our ministry? And during this time, I started speaking and writing and being able to speak and encourage women in their faith. And I got published several times in Chicken Soup for the Soul, and I began to see that I could do the writing thing. So anyway, I developed as a speaker and writer. We were in Springdale, Arkansas, like I said, for 14 years. And then as we were praying about our next chapter, the Lord opened an opportunity for us to move. My husband is in a position now called a church liaison. He connects the pastors of the churches in our church network. And so he's basically the pastor to other pastors, and he helps give guidance to churches when they need a new pastor or if they have a crisis that they need someone to talk through. So being the pastor to other pastors and networking churches, we really feel like the Lord has pointed us toward this all of our lives so that we can use all of our ministry experience to be able to encourage churches. And most of the churches in our network are small and underserved. And so we have a heart for them because that's where we served for 45 years in ministry was in the smaller churches. So that brings us to where we're at here in Decatur. We've been here for two years and the ministry is developing really well and it's stronger now than it's been in the last 10 years. And there are more pastors and churches that are joining in into this ministry. So that kind of brings us up to where I am today.
0: Wow. What a great ministry. Thank you. Now you had a life altering event or experience. Where were you when all that started and share with me what happened?
1: Okay. I was living in Kansas at the time. And I had a sore on my tongue that would not heal and it would get a little better, but then it would get worse and it just never completely healed. And I went to the dentist and he said, well, come back in six months and we'll look and see how it's doing. Well, it never healed. And eventually, after two more dentist visits of this sore in my tongue, and I knew something was not right when pain woke me up in the middle of the night. So... When I went to him again, he said, well, do you want me to forward you on to an oral surgeon to look at it? And I said, yes, definitely, something is wrong. So I saw this oral surgeon, and he didn't think it was anything serious, but eventually he asked me if I wanted it removed, and I said yes. He thought it was an ulcer on my tongue, and it just was irritating me so much and it was sore and it just didn't look right and so he removed that section of my tongue that day in his office and it was more intense than what he anticipated it was deeper and wider than what he thought it was on the surface and afterwards he said he thought it was like I said an ulcer and he almost didn't send it off for a biopsy because I did not fit a profile for any kind of oral cancer. Well, he did send it off, and I'm very glad that he did, because I went home that day, and I had stitches in my mouth, and I couldn't talk, I couldn't eat. I didn't know that they could do that to your tongue, (laughs) and they removed a large section of my tongue, like two by three inches. And it was very confusing to me, and I can remember just laying in my bed, praying and asking God to show me what to do. And he was just saying, rest in my refuge, just rest. And so I did. I sought God and I prayed and I just rested to heal. Because when we do have a time like that, if we have a surgery of some type or an illness, we have to allow that time to heal. And a lot of times we just want to rush on to the next thing. But sometimes we have to stop and just let it heal. So I was resting. And then two days later, I got the phone call from the oral surgeon. And he said, well, I have some good news and some bad news for you. And I'm you know, just kind of shaking my head, trying to wake up. I had been sleeping. And he said, well, the good news is, is we got it all. It had clean edges and margins. He said, but the bad news is it's cancer. And I've already talked to an oncologist And blah, blah, blah. And he kept going on and on and on. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait, what did you say? (laughs) I have tongue cancer. Why, how, what, you know, I just had all these questions. As a woman, I thought of other kinds of cancer that I might possibly have to deal with, but never did this one enter my mind. So I called my husband and he came home and we held each other. We cried. We just, prayed. We just knew that God was was in the midst of this time where we didn't know what to expect, what would be next. So that night he had meetings at the church and I went to my piano and I couldn't talk very well. I couldn't sing. I like to sing and play piano. And I just sat at my piano and I played worship songs and I prayed, prayed through my fingers is what I like to say. I prayed and just gave God all my questions and all my worries about the what ifs, what, what does this mean? What if, what if I I just had no idea what was ahead. And at that time, God took all my prayers and all my concerns. The scripture says to cast our burdens on him and he cares for us. And he returned and gave me a deep peace that said I would be okay. He gave me that peace that passes all understanding from Philippians four, six, and seven. And I just really felt at peace that no matter what happened, God would be with me. So that was the beginning of my cancer journey. When we have the follow-up consult, they decided that the treatment would be that I would see the doctor frequently. And if I had any more problems in between the visits, I would make an appointment and go and see him. And they would remove any suspicious tissue along the way. You know, that would be the treatment. So that was like 18 years ago now. And I still have been dealing with those doctor's appointments for 15 years I saw a doctor regularly. And then finally, he said, okay, I think I can cut you loose. Things had stabilized. By then, I had had seven biopsies on my tongue over the period of time. And two of those were cancerous. And they just removed it and kept an eye on it. So I thought that, okay, that's in the rearview mirror. I'm ready to put that behind me. Then we moved two years ago. And at that time I was feeling fine, but we we're changing all of our healthcare network and doctors and everything. And we were driving home from Thanksgiving from visiting our family, and I noticed a sore on my tongue again. And I was like, oh no, not a nut, what? And I knew it felt like it did before when I had this very serious sore. But I didn't know who to see. I didn't know any doctors in our new area. The main church that we attend when we're not traveling, my husband and I travel around to a lot of different churches for his ministry, but we have kind of like a home-based church. And so I began asking people in that church, you know, like, who is an ENT that I, who can, I can see. And we found out that there was one in the church, a man in the church, and I was unable to meet him. My husband happened to briefly be introduced to him when we were asking, who can we see? And at that time, I was getting to know some gals, that I was asked to be a musician for the upcoming Christmas women's event. The three other musicians and I were practicing, and I didn't know these gals at all, because I'm new. And I asked, how long have they been in the area? And I was telling them about my story. And then I had this sore in my tongue that I just really kind of didn't know what to do about. And one of the musicians there said, well, my husband is an ENT. And he was the ENT in the church that my husband had met. (laughs) So God orchestrated that meeting with her. So we exchanged information. She texted her husband right then. And within 15 minutes, his office called me and set up an appointment for two days later. I was so amazed because that's a miracle right there. <laughs> you could get in to see a specialist without a referral, you know, just that quickly. And that he had an opening and this was right before Christmas in 2019. I actually had a speaking engagement on the day of that appointment. So I, spoke at the luncheon, and then I went home and I changed clothes and I went to the doctor appointment and he did a biopsy right there in his office. I wasn't expecting it that day. I thought there'd be another appointment, but he did it right then because he said it didn't look right. And then from there, found out that he wanted to remove that section of my tongue. So we waited until after the holidays to do that and... Then in January of 2020, if you're following the timeline, that's right before the pandemic. I had this uncertainty of what's going on and we're in a new community and we knew people were praying for us. And I had surgery to remove that section of my tongue. And when the doctor came in preoperatively to look at me before he went in to do the surgery, he changed the orders to be able to do more because it had grown. The cancer had grown, the sore was bigger. And so he added some more things to his orders in case he needed to do it. And it's a good thing that he did because in that surgery, he removed a large section of my tongue and all the lymph nodes on the right side of my neck. And that was a section that was something that was added if necessary but he removed them because they didn't look right. And I was glad that he did because I didn't want to have to go through another surgery like that. So there I was again, unable to speak, unable to eat and healing and resting again in the refuge of God. And I just was so thankful that God had provided the excellent care that I needed to take care of that as quickly as it did. Because oral cancer can grow very fast because of the moist environment of the mouth. And with my case, we don't know where it came from, it's just totally random. But I just wanna encourage your listeners that if they have any kind of uncertain, a sore that doesn't heal, no matter where it is in your body, have it looked at just to be sure. Because I sure didn't expect to be on a journey with tongue cancer, and I have been, but God has been with me. And that piece that he gave me at the very beginning has carried me through every biopsy that I've had. Now I've had like nine biopsies on my tongue, three of which have been cancerous. And this last time I did have the consults for radiation and chemotherapy because it was stage two with some nerve involvement. And after those consults and praying about it, I decided not to go ahead with that at this point, but I will see the doctor regularly. And in fact, just last week, I had a regular checkup and he graduated me to seeing him now every four months this year. So the doctor's appointments are stretching out, not as frequently, unless I see something. So each time I've had to relearn how to talk I couldn't say my name when I have stitches in my mouth. My name was Nancy Waith. Oh, I've had to retrain how to talk. And still, I believe that God has called me to speak. And I want to speak for him. And Satan cannot have my tongue. So I will continue to speak and let my tongue proclaim the acts of God and his wonderful love.
0: So others will know. It's just amazing. Praise the Lord that you caught it and that there was surgery available. And amazing that you can talk again. Yes, it really is. (laughs) Besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or have done?
1: Yes, I have been a crafter of different kinds over the years. (laughs) I went through a counted cross stitch era (laughs) where I made a lot of counted cross-stitch pictures and gave them as gifts. I'm a pianist, and so I play piano. I play on our church worship teams. I've been a worship leader, and so worship at the piano is very important to me. So that's another type of craft that I do is just music. Right now, I've been doing some Bible journaling, using the scripture passage from the sermon, and then I write it out. I draw it and write it out and do Bible journaling with it. So that's been kind of a new thing the last couple of years that I've started. But I've done sewing. I like to make little valentines or Christmas gifts. I've done just a lot of different things over the years, as well as some quilting.
0: Who introduced you to quilting, or how did you get started with it?
1: Well, I always was drawn to it. I was fascinated by the intricacies. Isn't that something that we are drawn to, how all these patterns and colors can come together and make a design? You know, just some random pieces of fabric can come together and be well-placed and make a design. So I was always interested in that. And this one particular church that we were at had a quilting group and they met every week, and I would go up to them, and they would be working on a quilt for somebody. They would get the quilt top and then put the backing and batting on it, and then they would quilt it all together, and they were doing the finishing part, and sometimes I went up to just kind of learn from them, visit with the ladies, get to know them a little bit, and I remember sitting there as a young woman trying to figure out, well, okay, this is different. I've done sewing before, but this was a little bit different than sewing. So I was gently introduced there. And in that church, there was a gal that her mother, I found out, taught quilting, okay, because I had this interest, this growing interest in wanting to learn the art of quilting. But I didn't want to have the big quilt frames because I didn't have room in my house. I had two young children at the time. But I learned about this gal named Florence who taught lap quilting in her home. And I checked it out. I talked to her daughter who gave me her contact information. And I called her and found out that she offered these quilt classes in her home. And just for a period of like six or eight weeks, I can't remember how long, but we would get started on a quilt project so it sounded good to me. It meant in her home. It was a small group, maybe three or four women at most. So I signed up for this quilting class. And I had these visions of all the beautiful quilts I was going to create. <laughs> do you know what that's like? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> to like, oh, I can do this. This is beautiful, you know. And my youthful impatience, I really had to learn a lot there. So I went to her house, to Florence's house, and she was a small lady, very gentle in nature. She had raised her family. She had raised them on a farm, and I respected her greatly for her wisdom that she had. And I just wanted to learn from her. I wanted to learn the craft of quilting from her. But interestingly, I learned a lot more than quilting from her. So I went to her house. She said, go to the back door and just come on in. And so I walked in and I walked down the narrow creaky stairs to her basement. And I had to duck my head because it was a like a small farmhouse type situation. And anyway, I walked into her basement and it was a haven of creativity. There were tables All around the walls of the well-lit basement and heated basement, on the tables were stacks and stacks of fabrics of every color and pattern, calicos and plaids, and it smelled like a fabric store. (laughs) And it was just a quilter's haven. So in the middle of her basement was this large table where it was her crafting table, her quilting table, where she taught. The students would sit around the table and she would show us. And there were, like I said, I think three women. I was by far the youngest at that time. Like I said, I had two young children, but I wanted to learn this quilting stuff. And I wanted it to be uh, lap quilting because I wanted to carry it with me if I wanted to work on it somewhere, you know, take it along with me. Well, she started to show us the basics and we could select some fabrics from her wonderful array of fabrics and she showed us how to cut a simple pattern and I think the first pattern we did was like a basic nine patch and we created a pillow top with a nine patch pattern on it and it was fun you know it's like okay you know getting your toes wet with something you know just getting introduced to something And it was fun. Every week we would go to her house and we would work on our little project. And every week in the middle of the class, it was about two hours long, but about in the middle of the class, Florence would disappear. She would go upstairs and she would be gone for a little while while we were working on our projects. But then she would come back downstairs and she had a plate of cookies and tea for us. And it was just so pleasant to be treated like royalty with this little tea party in the middle of our quilting class, if you would. So we would eat a little bit and visit, and it was very relaxing. But I remember feeling so honored by, you know, I wasn't just a novice trying to learn something. She just honored us with her gentle hospitality. It was very precious, and it made a big impression on me. So each week, she would do that. And each week, we would have lessons. She would show us a new technique. We moved on to a log cabin pattern. We learned how to put the stitches close together. And even though I was a seamstress, I struggled for some reason (laughs) to put two straight seams together. I don't know why. (laughs) But I had this problem. I couldn't sew a straight seam with quilting, small pieces. I don't know if I was nervous or what. So each week, I had to take something out. Now, quilters know about taking things out. I think you do. It's kind of part of it is what I've learned. And each week, I found out that I didn't have the corners to match up or the strips didn't match up quite right. And so Florence would say, that's okay. Just take it out. Just think of what you're learning by doing this. Every week, I heard that. (laughs) It's okay. Just think of what you're learning by doing this. Okay. And I got so tired of hearing that because I thought, can't I do this without making a mistake? But I kept making little mistakes. And okay, I'm a recovered perfectionist too. (laughs) became difficult, too, to deal with, but it was like I was learning about putting colors together and patterns, and Florence, in her very gentle way, was so patient with us. And so eventually she said, okay, now we're ready for a project. Well, I thought I'd already had a project. I'd made two pillow tops. Wasn't that the project? No, she had in mind, it's time now to make a quilt. And I thought, oh, my goodness, okay, I think I'm ready to do this. I guess I am, you know. And so my mind was trying to figure out colors and what would I do. And I thought, oh, I'll make a queen-size one for our bed at home. And then I thought, oh, that would be too much work. I just don't think I could do that. And I thought, well, I have two children. I'll make the quilt for our son. Well, then I would have to make two of them because I have a daughter. So I just didn't think I could make two quilts. It was going to be too much of a task. And so I thought about it and I just kept working on it. And I decided to make a quilted wall hanging. Now, I respect all of you quilters who make beautiful quilts and have made many quilts because I know the time and effort and love that goes into every stitch. Well, I was working on my little four squares of a quilted wall hanging. And I chose to do two squares of it were log cabin, one was a regular log cabin, and one was a variation. I think it's called courthouse stairs log cabin pattern. So I had those two opposite corners, and then the other two were two star patterns that were in the opposing corners. And I used light blue and tan and brown and dark blue as the colors. So I was learning how to put all those together, and each week I heard Florence say, it's okay, you have to take that out, but just think of what you're learning by doing that. I had had enough. I had learned enough. I wanted to get done with this. I couldn't get the points of the corners, the, the points of the stars to match up, and I finally decided, you know, that's Okay. <laughs> Do you ever get to that point of just saying, it's good enough, you know? It's the best that I can do with what I have. So I kept processing this, and Florence kept saying, just think of what you're learning by doing this. And I would ask her, so how long does it take to make a quilt? Have you ever been asked that? You know, when people find out you're a quilter, how long does it take? And she just kind of looked at me and said, well, it takes as long as it takes. And I was an impatient younger woman. And I was like, I want to get this done. I I felt that time pressure, you know, and I just thought, okay, let it take as long as it takes. And so I was processing that. I began to see the Lord interweaving some lessons to me. It's like, do we think we have something that we've learned something and then we mess it up and then we have to start all over again And do you hear the Lord say, just think of what you're learning by doing this? And all the way through our lives, we could be working and learning that, learning and listening to the Lord because he's our ultimate teacher. He's our ultimate designer of our lives, bringing all the pieces of our lives together. So I worked on this quilted wall hanging, and I almost think it's not very much... (laughs) But I wanted to learn it, and by golly, I was going to finish it. It was not going to get the best of me. I was going to stick with it forever, and it seemed like forever to do it. (laughs) So I kept working at it, and I finally got all the squares done, the four squares done, and the sashes. About a year and a half had passed since I finished my quilt class. But I kept working at it, and I went back. I called Florence, and she said, yeah, you can come by. And I'll show you how to finish. And it's like, yes, I wanted to finish it before it finished me off. I was ready to be done. So I took the four squares and the sashes. Let's see, the one, two, three, four, probably six sashes that I had quilted a design in the borders and asked her to show me how to put it all together. And I had gotten them and I'd hand pieced it and like I said I was a seamstress and my sewing machine was tempting me I had the thought in my mind that if I just sat down at the sewing machine I could get this done really quick but it was like no I want to learn this art of hand quilting nothing wrong with machine quilting but I wanted to do it all by hand so I showed up at her house with my pieces that I needed to finish. We're sitting at her kitchen table. And I had my young daughter with me at that time. She had showed me how to miter the corners on the back to fold under the binding and miter the corners and add the sashes. And I was just feeling like, oh my gosh, this is really going to get done. You know, that excitement you get when you are nearing the end of a project even though this was a little project (laughs) compared to a big quilt. And she showed me where to trim a seam on the back. And at that moment, when I was ready to trim the seam, I got distracted by a question my daughter asked. I looked up to answer her, and I closed the blades of the scissors. And I slashed the quilt top. Oh no! I could not believe that I had done that. I was crying. I was speechless. I felt like how could I do such a stupid thing? You do ever think that? Oh my goodness! And I'm trying to hold it together. And and Florence, in her gentle way, you know what she did. She reached over and she patted my hand. She said. Just think of what you're learning by doing this. We can fix it. Wow. Those words helped me so much because I saw that even when I thought I had ruined this whole thing, she gave me some tips on how to fix it. Yes, I did use my sewing machine to help fix that little place where I mistakenly slashed it, but that's the only place on that Little quilted wall hanging that I used anything besides hand sewing on it. And I look at that now and I can't even see where the mistake is at. When I look at that wall hanging, that quilted wall hanging, I think of those lessons that I learned of patience and trying again when you make a mistake. And it's okay because we're not perfect and we know that, but then we act like we should know better. And that we shouldn't make mistakes. And I think of, you know, in my life, do I think I've messed up something so bad that God can't redeem it? And he says, just think of what you're learning by doing this. He's the master designer that takes the pieces of our lives and puts them together in a beautiful quilt. That we don't see all the pieces and all the designs and patterns until the end of our lives, and sometimes we feel that tug of a stitch. You know, sometimes stitches are hard to pull through the fabric and the batting. And yet, sometimes when we're learning something, we feel that tug of the Holy Spirit. It hurts. We can feel it, but yet God is shaping us, and He's working at us and showing us His ways. We just have to submit to His ways to yield our hearts to Him. So, I finished my quilted wall hanging. I hung it on my wall, even though we were going to be moving in a couple of weeks. I did not care. I wanted that thing on my wall <laughs> as a sign of my victory over quilting. I succeeded. And I learned so much from that. I learned much about the fruit of the spirit, even. I see that. We're supposed to grow in understanding the fruit of the Spirit. But if we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, if we look at those as all quilt squares, okay, each one of the fruit of the Spirit is like a quilt square. And they're scattered out on a table. What good is that? They need to be bound together. And the binding of the Spirit is the love of God that he binds us together within us so that we can grow in our character, reflecting the love of God and God's love binds those in our hearts so that we can show his light and be his quilt in the world that needs his love, that we can be his covering of love to, to be able to reach out to people with comfort, with hope in the world. So I kind of, jumped over to talking a little bit about the fruit of the spirit, but that tied in with me as I was learning during that quilting class. And many probably know this, but in some quilting areas, they made a humility block. And the humility block was one that intentionally the colors were mismatched and there was an error in it. And that was a reminder to the quilter that... Only God could create something perfect. And so even in our handiwork, we can strive for excellence, but we have that humility within us knowing that only God can create something perfect. And he is our master designer that puts the pieces of our lives together.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. There's so much to quilting that as we're working on our quilt so. We can see God's movement and how he works. It is a great picture of what he does.
1: Yes, he puts the pieces together. Sometimes we have to take the pieces out and he rearranges them and puts them back, like my cancer episode. I had not planned on having that in the quilts of my life. But there it is. And yet through that cancer episode and dealing with it, I've had to learn to trust God more deeply. And just grow in my faith and know that he is putting that, I you know, I never figured there'd be a cancer block on my square of life. I've never thought of it that way before, but is, but yet I've had to weave it in and keep looking at the Lord
0: as my strength. Nancy, where can we find you?
1: I am on the internet. My website is nancykgrace.com and that's my full name. N-A-N-C-Y-K-A-Y-G-R-A-C-E dot com. And on my website, you'll see my speaking topics. You can sign up for my Grace Notes newsletter that is sent out. I have a blog that I write on twice a month. And I just write to encourage people in their faith to look for God's grace in everyday life. My book is called The Grace Impact, which is a devotional book about God's grace. And it is available through my website or on Amazon. And I have several stories coming out and other books this year and other anthologies that are coming out. So anyway, I would appreciate if you just stop by my website and sign up for the Grace Notes newsletter. Thanks. And you can be kept up with all the information.
0: Great. And your website will also be listed on your episode page so that we can find you there.
1: Okay, great.
0: Well, thank you so much, Nancy, for spending this time with me. I so appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me and letting me share my story about the secrets of the quilt. I look at that story as secrets of the quilt that when we quilt, God is at work in us. We have sore fingers, He tugs at our heart, but yet He is making a beautiful quilt of our lives and I thank you for letting me share the story on a quilter's
0: life thank you so much well thank you and have a blessed day you too thank you bye bye you can find more stories on aquilterslife.com Or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.